G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The reality of our lives become so apparent that we have been chasing things that do not matter, that can never deliver, and suddenly in one moment of time, motivated by a deep burden of the heart, we begin to pray, God, bring revival. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello, my name is Bill and thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. So far in this series titled The Year of Re, we've explored topics of recommitment, reawakening, revival, restoration and renewal. Today we hear the rest of Pastor Jeff's message on reawakening. He's looking at two passages, Mark chapter 15 and Genesis 35. I think Jesus says, Father, those people are praying for their city. They're praying for their children, for their grandchildren, for their marriages. They're praying to see you in a way they've never seen you before. They want to see your glory, your salvation. They're asking you to help them desire to live under your lordship. They're praying for revival. They're praying that people would get saved, that the prodigals would come home, that dead bones would come to life. And Father, they have finally realized that their struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this dark age. Church history, yes, is littered with the good, the bad, and the downright ugly. Of course it is. People are involved. People have a way of messing up everything. Look at what we've done to this world. Look at what we've done to this nation. But there have also been times of revival and strength and growth and power. Times of revival and renewal. And do you know what? As you read about these revivals, those times were always preceded by prayer. Always. D.L. Moody preached the gospel in 1875 and a great revival swept Chicago. But before Moody preached, people prayed. He went to the British Isles where it's estimated that he preached to over two and a half million people, which was unheard of in that day. But before he preached, long before he arrived, people were praying. He returned in 1885 to America and began revivals in America's largest cities. But before he preached, they had been praying. In fact, before D.L. Moody hit the ground back in America, a great prayer movement had swept the nation. America had shifted away from its Judeo-Christian values, and they were moving aggressively toward a Marxist-type Darwinism that paved the way toward one of the most immoral seasons in American history. One that can literally be compared to what's going on today. But the people prayed for revival for months, 
for years. And Moody returns, and because the hearts of the people have been ignited by the Spirit of God in response to prayer, Moody drops the seed of the gospel into fertile soil, and revival breaks out. Eyes are open. Captives are set free. Dead bones rise again. But make no mistake, God used his preachers and evangelists, but prayer ignited the fire that opened the hearts of the people to receive the power and the force of the gospel. Every great revival, America, Europe, Asia, Africa, people first began to pray. Did they preach? Yes. Did they sing? Yes. But the identifying mark of the revivals of the past, prayer. Do you know why? Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Prayer preceded it. Prayer kept the revival going, and the minute prayer ended, the Spirit of God lifted, and the church got back into the same old rut. Let's argue about church music and politics and social degradation and the budget. Prayer. Who loses when we don't pray? Everybody. We don't meet God, we don't see God. We're shielded from his glory. We're deprived of his majesty. We don't experience or know him in the way that he seeks to be known and experienced. We become dry bones. There's no life in our faith. And the danger of our faith dying. People don't get saved. Prodigals don't come home. Dead bones rot in the valley. God says, my house should be called a house of prayer. But too few want to pray. Why? Are we self-sufficient? Do we not need God? Now listen, follow me here. There's the other passage. And at first it will seem like it's not related. I can assure you that it is. But in Genesis 35, here's what we read in verse one to three. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel, settle there, and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign idols, the foreign gods you have with you. Purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I've gone. Now, I don't know if you know this story, but it's the story of a man's journey with God through the years his high confidence in himself and his shrewd dealings with his family and friends. That's what Jacob's life was like. This is the story of the confessions of a man who found that when it's all said and done, he desperately needs God. If he's going to make life's journey a victory march, he's got to have God. If you know the story of Jacob, he's smooth, he's slick, he believed it that he had enough brains and shrewdness to make it all happen by himself. In emergencies, it's true, he would go to God in prayer, but only in emergencies. He deceived his father. He robbed his own brother. He thought that he could swindle his own uncle, who turned out to be even worse than he was. Until one night, trapped by his own shrewdness, he's now a hunted wanderer. And he pitches his camp. And he gathers a stone that he's going to use as his pillow. And sitting alone in the darkness, a great depression comes over him. And he realizes, 
going at his life apart from God has brought nothing but futility. And now he has no family, no friends, no home, no comforts. He's at the end of the line. Determined to go in his life alone, to manipulate the world, to depend upon deceit and conniving, which he sees is an incredible asset that he has, to grab on to what he thinks he so desperately needs and what he can't live without. But now he realizes he's alone. There's no hope. There's no future. There's no recourse. He's lived life apart from God. He's claimed to be with God, but there's been no real relationship with him. And now he's overwhelmed by terrible fear. In that moment, Jacob called on God, the God of his fathers. And the story's beautiful. We are told that a ladder appeared whose bottom touched the earth and whose top disappeared into the heavens. And Jacob saw the angels trafficking, the ministering servants of God trafficking, uh, trafficking between God and earth. And above the ladder, suddenly God appears and he speaks to Jacob and he says in Genesis 28, I am the Lord God of Abraham. I am with you and will keep you. God is saying, my plan for your life has always been a good one. I'm with you. Stop struggling and striving and fighting and trying to gain something that I want to give you anyway. And turn to me in prayer. And when Jacob woke up in Genesis 28, verse 16, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And then the Bible says Jacob took that stone that he'd used as a pillar. He anointed it in an act of dedication and called this place Bethel, which means the house of God. For surely this is where the, where the Lord lives. This is his house, his residence. And after that moment, we learned that Jacob traveled. He continued on with his journey, but he now understood that trying to manipulate God and deceive men would never give him what he's trying to search for or what he's trying to attain. God intended to give it to him all along if he would simply humble himself, turn to the God of his fathers, and pray. Men, I want to talk to you because revival doesn't happen without the men. This is the other commonality. Let's face it. Oftentimes, we depend upon the women of our churches to do all the work and to do all the intercessory prayer. But without the men leading their families, revival doesn't come. And for some of you guys, it's been so long since you heard the voice of God so powerfully and clearly. Sometimes we hear a knock, but the television's on. Sometimes it seems as though God is about to say something, but our minds are entirely someplace else. Sometimes there's this sound like the whisper of God, but it's drowned out by other pursuits. To Jacob, it always seemed that he was just about to make it, that his ship was about to come in, that the pot of gold was just over the mountain at the end of the rainbow. But every single time because of some unforeseen error in judgment, he never quite arrived. But guys, that's the way the world always leads us. 
It just keeps promising just over the next hill waits the prize. And that's the story of Jacob's life until God meets him and he meets God at Bethel. And he finally discovers what I'm praying that we will. Listen carefully. It is never going to work out until God works it out. It is never going to work out until God works it out. Your job, your marriage, your finances, your children, this community, this town, this nation. Until Bethel, God was never really in Jacob's life. He prayed, but with very little passion. It was more of a formality, like you and I pray today. There was little to no spiritual passion in his life. More dead bones than anything else. But then, in one moment of time, Jacob decided that he would go back to Bethel, the house of God, that he would go back to the very place where he originally found God, when the light had broken through into his pathway. He would come to the end of himself. He would admit that he desperately needed God. It was his way of saying, God, I need you in my life. And he says to his entire family, we're going to go back, back to the place where I met God, that these bones might live again. And so Jacob said to the household, all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I've gone. And we might say ever since. Jacob says, let's go home. He says, we've wandered far away from God, but now we're going home. The paths of sin too long we've trod, but now we're coming home. Open wide your arms of love. Lord, we're coming home and we're coming home. Never more to roam. Men, your families need God. You need God. It's time for you to lead your family back home to the house of God. Otherwise, revival will never come. You're fighting much too hard. You're depending much too on your own resources. And you don't have to. God has given you this awesome privilege of leading your family and he's waiting for the men of this church to come back home. Because it's never gonna work out until God works it out and nothing works out until we begin to pray. Men, I'm asking you to lead this movement back to God. I'm asking you to pray that God breathe his spirit into you and you become passionate again about scripture, about worship, about coming to the house of the Lord, about leading your family in prayer. Is it that we don't have any anxieties or concerns anymore? Do we not need prayer for our children, our grandchildren? Do we not need prayer for our health, for one another? Are we so strong against the attacks of the evil one that we don't need supernatural assistance? Is the economy so good that we no longer need God's intervention in our lives? Because you would think that the church would look at these promises, ask and you will receive, knock and the door will be opened, seek and you will find, call on the name of the Lord. You have not because you asked not. You would think that the Christian church would say, time out. 
Is this a house of preaching? Yes. Is it a house of singing? Yes. But Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And you would think we would say, we're going to set aside a night to pray. We're going to go back to Bethel where there's a ladder where when his people gather together in the presence of God, in the house of God, that his ministering servants traverse from heaven to earth as his ministering servants. And the glory of God shines around us and we meet God and the reality of our lives become so apparent that we have been chasing things that do not matter, that can never deliver, and suddenly in one moment of time, motivated by a deep burden of the heart, we begin to pray, God, bring revival. That we can see you and feel you in ways we've never seen or felt and that we can do the right thing, which is to pursue you above and beyond all other things. The reality and the revivals of the past tell us two things, and this is the end. Stay with me. There is the means to revival, and it's prayer. Prayer is the means to revival. It's how it happens. It's how it occurs. There's no formula, and you don't know how long you start praying, and prayer moves the heart of God to release his divine energy to reveal himself, and people get converted massive amounts The Spirit breathes on those who are far from God, massive amounts, and people experience Him. And dead bones began to wake up. Revivals are not worked up, they are prayed down. Revivals are not worked up, they are prayed down. My time with Jim Cimbala in 2006, the pastor of Brooklyn Tab, I see this church and I see people lined up through the streets and around the corner in the dead cold. I mean, you're freezing, but they can't wait to get in. Why? In this old theater in Old Town, Brooklyn, and people from all walks of life waiting in line. The house is full, but they keep packing in. Why? And the answer is once you taste the good stuff, you can't go back. Once you taste what revival's like, you'll not settle for anything less. Once you realize what prayer does and how you can see the presence of God, feel the presence of God, overwhelmed almost by the spirit and the power of God, you never want to go back to mediocrity. Which is why we started our prayer meeting. And although this house is filled, it should be filled in the fireside room and the patio and at Westco, and at Rancho, and at Upland. It's my favorite time of the month. On the weekends, I'm Pastor Jeff. On prayer nights, I'm lead follower and sinner in need of repentance. Come back to the house of God. Folks, there's a move of God in this place. Is this the next revival? Is it here? I don't know, because I can't manufacture it. Revivals are not worked up, they're prayed down. But I'll tell you one thing, I'm going to spend my life praying that God would send it. That we would see heaven open and realize that God is in this place. That every time we meet together in worship and anybody from the outside comes in, the first thing they know is, wow, God is here. You can't manufacture that. You can't fake that. You can't manipulate a course that only God can send it because revivals are not worked up. They are prayed down. 
But when they come, addictions stuck to people like Velcro, freed. Marriages and relationship in ruin, resurrected. Young people get on fire for the Lord Jesus and they forsake the trappings of the world and they lean into holiness and faithfulness. When revival comes, mental illnesses like anxiety and depression are cast out of the afflicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see a renewed passion for the word, for scripture, for the Bible, for fellowship, for prayer. You become the Acts 2 church again. And as a result, God does many miraculous signs and wonders in our midst. Who doesn't want that? So we know the byproducts of revival. Remember what we read. Here's what happens. It pleased God to display his free and sovereign mercy in the conversion of a great multitude of souls in a short space of time, turning them from a formal, cold, and careless profession of Christianity to the lively exercise of Christian grace and the powerful practice of our holy religion. What is our powerful practice? We want to see people far? Come near. We extend mercy and grace to those who are far that they might become near. We become less judgmental and more loving because we're being transformed by the scriptures. And it is no longer Jesus or it is no longer we who live, but Christ rather who lives in us. The means of revival, that's the byproduct, but the means of revival is prayer. It is not worked up. Revival is prayed down. So here's my challenge. Come to Bethel. Come back to that place where you first knew, once knew Christ in an intimate, personal way. And pray that we can all taste the Lord and see that he is good. I'm asking you, with your help, let's become a house of prayer again. And I believe that it starts with that one Monday of every month. This place is packed with people who come to pray and to pray for revival. Folks, the moving of the hand of God is going to happen in that prayer meeting. We will see the residual impact on our weekend services, but the moving of the hand of God Revival cannot be worked up. It can be prayed down. And I'm praying that you will go on this journey so that we will have revival come to this place. Father, I pray in Christ's name for a move of your spirit. I'm praying that you do whatever it is you have to do to wake us up so that we can become spiritually woke. I am praying, Father, that you would renew our passion for prayer, that our eyes would be open to the power that resides when people began to pray. No matter where they've been or what they've done, like Jacob, in one moment of time when we find ourselves alone without hope and future, that we would turn to the God of our fathers. And in so doing, that heaven would begin to touch the earth. I pray for a movement of your spirit in this place and for a resignation of the heart and that this place, the city on the hill that cannot be hidden, that you've invested 
in for so long. I pray that as it did with Azusa, as it did in the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening, and with the preaching of D.L. Moody, I pray that revival in America would start in this place with these people that you have called by your name. In Christ's name, everybody said, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.